The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome, everybody in the room, and as Kelly said, everybody online. Thank you so much to our visitors for being here. We're grateful for your presence with us this morning. And we just want you to know that the Springs is a church being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. And in the spirit of anyone finding the way to God, we've been spending, we spent five weeks in a sermon series called Good News, Sharing the Gospel of Christ. And so we were talking about evangelism, about how to share the gospel, how to share the good news. And we thought it might be appropriate to move now from the question of how to kind of zoom out and ask what? To take a step back and ask, what is the gospel? What exactly do we mean when we say the good news? And we could define that a whole lot of different ways, but we thought it might be most appropriate to focus for four weeks on figuring out what the gospel is by looking at the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we open up a sermon series this morning called The Gospel According To, and we're going to be focusing on Matthew, specifically in chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, if you want to turn over with me this morning. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning. We thank you for your presence with us here around the tables. We thank you for your presence here with us in this room. And Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask for the Holy Spirit to open us up to hear it, to believe it, to be changed by it. God, I ask for the gift of preaching, and it's in Christ's name that we pray all these things. Amen. You can't forget a name like Ms. Deutsch. Ms. Deutsch was the worst substitute teacher I ever had. Like On a spectrum of substitute teachers, there's rock star Rick Geyer, and there's Ms. Deutsch. I think it was high school science class. I honestly don't remember all that much about the details of what happened because it all happened so quickly and she came in guns blazing. 
trying to light us up or something because we couldn't even make it through attendance before she was lighting it up, gaslighting even, and eventually Carrie, mild-mannered Carrie, soon-to-be valedictorian, never got in trouble, got in trouble somehow. I didn't know what was happening, but I know that by the end of taking names, we got down to my friend Christian, and Ms. Deutsch growled through them and got down and said, Christian, by the way, this was a Christian high school, she said, Christian, you should live up to your name. <laughs> the guy hadn't done anything. <laughs> he hadn't done anything other than be in a classroom with Ms. Deutsch, who was for some reason spoiling for a fight that day. Even the name Christian provoked her. Because names are significant, but names are not enough. You can't know everything about a person just by hearing that their name is Christian, right? You might run into somebody named Hunter who's a vegan. The names and the story, the context, it doesn't always line up. Names are significant, but we also need the context and the story. Right? And this happens in everyday conversation, right? I might say, uh, hey, John is, is interested in starting a new ministry at the Springs. And you might say, John? John who? Uh, well, John Osborne, right? Uh, communications professor, elder at the Springs, married to Kelly, right? We use those identifying descriptions. Or we might use a story. We might say, John, John Osborne, he was born in Canada. He moved to America. He taught English in Japan. He works at Oklahoma Christian. Names are important, but we also need the story to understand the significance of the name. And the same is true for the gospel. We could probably distill the gospel down, if we wanted to, down to just Jesus. Jesus is the good news, or the gospel is Jesus is risen. The name is very important, in that sentence, the subject of that sentence is really important. As Robert Jensen is fond of saying, Stalin is risen would lift few hearts. Right? Hitler is risen is not comforting. But Jesus is risen means something. And yet to know what it means, we need to know who Jesus is. We've got to ask, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that is risen? And when the church has been asked that question... For a long, long time, we've pointed to the four evangelists. We've pointed to Matthew, to Mark, to Luke, and to John. And so this morning, we want to ask Matthew specifically, what is the good news and who is this Jesus that is the subject of the good news? So let's jump back into verse 20 and look at two of the names that Matthew gives us and the significance he lends to them. He says in verse 20, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph and Mary name their son Jesus. They're commanded by God to do it. But the name Jesus also exists in a context and a story that gives it significance. Jesus was a really popular name in that day and age, in part probably because it's connection to a great leader in Israel's history. 
Right? You might know that the Hebrew version of the name Jesus is Yeshua or Joshua, like we say it. Right? So Joshua, Jesus is connected to that great leader who led the Israelites into the promised land, who succeeded Moses, right? who took Israel where even Moses could not take them. Matthew grounds the person of Jesus in Joshua, and therefore he connects him to Moses. This is part of the way that Matthew situates the story and person of Jesus. Part of the good news of Matthew is that Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the Israelite leader who succeeds Moses, Yeshua. Right? He, he comes after Moses and he does what Moses cannot do. He leads the people where Moses cannot take them. Jesus is the true and better Moses. And Matthew portrays this in several different ways. It's really interesting. You might remember a slide pretty similar to this next one from a sermon back in May that I preached, also from Matthew. This is in our Your Story sermon series. And I've tweaked it because instead of showing the parallels between the story of Israel, this shows the parallels between the story of Moses and the story of Jesus. Right, so they both escape murder by this despotic king. Right? They both are saved from Herod or Pharaoh. They both flee. They're called out of Egypt. They both pass through the waters to freedom. Moses through the Red Sea. Jesus through his baptism. And then Moses goes up a mountain, famously, and delivers the instructions from God to his people. And here's how Matthew begins chapter five. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes up the mountain, and he delivers God's commandments because Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the new lawgiver in Israel. He's the great teacher, the greatest, even greater than Moses, right? And in fact, Matthew also lays this out in the way his story plays out, the way he kind of structures things. So there are basically five different sections where Jesus has a big chunk of teaching in Matthew. And after each one of them, like the Sermon on the Mount, it ends with words like, when Jesus had finished saying these things, when Jesus had finished these parables, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, one, two, three, four, five. Well, do you remember the Torah is the law for Israel? Those are the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that's also referred to as the five books of Moses. Jesus is the new giver of God's law. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus, Yeshua, succeeds and exceeds Moses, Israel's great teacher. But he doesn't do away with Moses, right? He doesn't get rid of him. Remember later in the Sermon on the Mount, he says in verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. So how does Jesus not abolish 
but fulfill Moses. Jesus teaches us how to read Moses through mercy. This is another really important theme in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is the new and true and better Moses, and Jesus teaches us how to read the law, he teaches us how to read the Old Testament, and he does that, the key he uses to unlock it is mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. When the Pharisees come after Jesus' disciples for plucking some heads of grain on the Sabbath, Jesus walks through a couple scenarios in the Old Testament where people lived in God's mercy, right? Where they lived in the shelter of God's mercy. And he says to the Pharisees, he says, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew's good news about Jesus is mercy. Jesus teaches us how to read, how to interpret, how to apply the Old Testament, all of Scripture through the lens of his mercy. There's power in that merciful name of Jesus, the new and better and true Moses. Moses liberated the people from bondage to Pharaoh, bondage to slavery, but Jesus is gonna liberate us from bondage to everything, bondage to sin. He's gonna liberate us from bondage to death. He's gonna liberate us from bondage to legalism, liberate us from bondage to the devil, right? Jesus is the true and better Moses, who shows us how to live free in his mercy by his powerful name. If you've been around the springs for a while, you might remember that song. We haven't sung it in a while, but if you know it, sing it. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There's power in the name of Jesus to encounter the mercy of God and be freed from sin and death. But Matthew also gives Jesus another name. There's a second name that Matthew applies to Jesus and he spells it out. Let's go back to verse 21. She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That verse 23 is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah is also very important to Matthew, very important to the gospel of Jesus. And Isaiah lays out this prophecy and Matthew tells us in chapter 1 that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Right In the words of the Apostles' Creed that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is this Emmanuel of which Isaiah speaks. And Emmanuel means God is with us. 
Because God is with us, we're not alone. Because God is with us, we have the presence, Jesus' healing presence. Jesus mediates the presence of God to us. He gives us access to the Heavenly Father. Emmanuel, God is with us. What does that mean to be with someone? My parents are here this morning, and some of you might know my dad was a radio DJ back in the 70s, and he had a show on KSDR in Watertown called Rock On, and the 70s is a great time to be a DJ because the music was fantastic. And he heard that his favorite band, Chicago, was going to be coming to South Dakota, And so he made a series of phone calls and somehow he found himself basically on the phone with somebody who was able to get him to Walt Parizader, the founding member of the group, plays in the group. And he talks to Walt and he says, hey, I'm Austin, I've got a radio show and I'd love to interview you guys when you're coming through town. And Walt said, sure, sure, I'll do that. My dad was like, well, will you remember me? How will I know you'll remember you? He's like, I'll, I'll remember you. I'll remember your name, Austin. So day of the concert comes, and my dad takes his friend Tom Williams. And my mom was actually there, but they hadn't met yet. But he goes to the concert, and it's a great show, and they get outside the green room afterwards, and there's a big kind of pool of press people wanting some access. But the road manager comes out and says, sorry, we're not, we're not doing any interviews. Nobody's getting in. We're no, they're not doing any interviews tonight. And my dad says, wait, wait, just, just tell Walt Austin's here. Tell Walt Perizader Austin's here. So he goes back in, waits a minute, comes back out, looks at my dad, says, come with me. And my dad takes Tom Williams with him, his good friend, and they go back and they spend time with Chicago after the show. They interview Walt Perizader. They sit at the feet of the band in their green room with him. And Tom Williams is just slack-jawed the whole time because he's never been in the presence of this kind of musical greatness. Being with someone is about more than physical proximity. My dad was standing next to, standing with a lot of people, but he was only really significantly with Tom, with his friend Tom there. And that being with Tom was the only way Tom was going to go through that door. The only reason he had that chance, that opportunity, was because my dad was with him. That's what the presence of Jesus is like. It's it's not just about a physical proximity. It's about a relationship that opens up doors that we otherwise would have never walked through. It's about the presence of a God who can open up doors of healing, who can open up doors of forgiveness, doors of justice and mercy, who can open up doors into his good future. Emmanuel means God is with us. And like Moses, he is leading us into that future of freedom and salvation. Jesus' presence. This is the theme of the Gospel of Matthew. It starts in chapter one with Emmanuel, God is with us. And you might remember the final words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, the last sentences where Jesus says, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The good news in Matthew is that in Jesus, the Son of God, Israel's great teacher, God is with us. In Jesus, the Son of God, Israel's great teacher, God is with us. In Jesus, the true and better Moses, the crucified and risen Messiah, the one who comes after Moses and teaches us the law through mercy, in Jesus, God is with us. That's the gospel. That's good news. So what does that mean for us? How do we say that to our neighbors in a way that makes sense? What can we tell them about the presence of Jesus? I want to spin out just two ways here as we wind things down. Two ways that Jesus is present primarily with us. And the first is this, that Jesus is present humbly everywhere. Jesus is present humbly everywhere. He's everywhere, right? To use that $10 theologian's word, he's omnipresent. God is all over the place. You cannot escape him. Like Jonah in the Old Testament, there's no Tarshish for you to sail to away from the presence of God. There's no way you can get on a boat that will take you far enough to be away from Jesus. As the psalmist says in 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. You can't flee from the presence of Jesus. But because he's present humbly everywhere, Sometimes Jesus is present invisibly everywhere. Jesus says in Matthew, he's gentle and humble at heart, and that applies even to his presence. Jesus is present in ways that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. Present in ways that can only be seen through the eyes of humility. That can only be seen through the eyes of mercy. Jesus is present humbly everywhere. As Catherine Sonderegger writes, she says, God is the publican, the lowly outcast in his own cosmos, standing not openly on the thoroughfares and wide avenues, proclaiming himself in his glory. The Lord takes rather a hidden place, standing a far ways off, pointing not to himself, but to the creatures he has made. God is that gracious. God is humbly present to human culture and society and history, even to be present as the invisible one who is not noted by the actors on the stage. Jesus is with us everywhere, even when humans fail or refuse to see it. But there is another way that Jesus is present, Another way in which he's present and is noted by the actors on the stage. Jesus is present humbly everywhere and tangibly in his church. 
Jesus is present tangibly in our relationships with one another. As Adam alluded to, he's, he's really present somehow at the tables, in the bread and the cup. He's really with us in the church. He's working through us amidst all of our many, many failures. Jesus has chosen, he's deigned to make himself known in his body, the church, as Paul calls us. We are the body of Christ. We become his hands and feet. Our love to the least of these shows Jesus to the world. Jesus is present tangibly in his church. Even when we fail, even when the hells that we make on our own make it hard to see who Jesus really is, As Jesus says to Simon Peter when he confesses in Matthew chapter 16, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is present tangibly when we live the gospel together, when we love our neighbor, when we love the least of these, Jesus is present in his church. He's present at the table. He's present simply when we answer his call to gather. As Jesus famously says in Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The powerful presence of Jesus has gathered us here together this morning. And that means that we're not here to have a meeting about God. We're here to have a meeting with God. We're not here to just talk about God. We're here to address and talk to God, to be in his presence. To be in the presence of Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, the one who saves us from our sins, the one who shows us mercy, the one who shows us how to read his scriptures. We're here in the presence of Jesus. That changes things. Jesus is with us. God is with us. That changes things. Whatever doubts creep into our hearts, God is with us. Whatever disorder and disease we struggle with, God is with us. Whatever death-dealing forces of sin are crouching at our door, God is with you. Amen? Amen. The presence of Jesus is here. How will you respond to that presence? How will you respond to the true and better Moses, the son of the living God, the great teacher of Israel, who draws us in with his merciful presence. Church, let us stand and respond in praise to Jesus, God with us.